Welcome to Who New. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Visit our website, whonewpodcast.com, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and on Facebook at whonewpodcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. Today's episode is Season 3 or Series 3, depending on what part of the planet you're from. <laughs> 13 episodes long, Martha Jones is our companion with the 10th Doctor. And the 10th Doctor is played by David Tennant. Uh, Freema Adjaman plays Martha Jones. And also in this season, we get the return of Captain Jack, played by John Berriman. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's see who else, who joined us for the Season 3 overview. Hi, this is Brian. Hi, this is Heather. This is Josh. Hello, this is Auburn. Hello, everyone. This is Frank. I'd just like to say now that the DVDs, I'm a proponent of buying discs, and I have the Season 3 DVD set, and I think it's worth it. I, I think I say that every season, but it has commentary, audio commentary on every episode. It has deleted scenes, uh, the Doctor Who confidential cutdowns, and video diaries. It's just a well-put-together set. And unedited versions. The original version of... <laughs> As we Best learned last one. episode, yeah. Yes. And where can you purchase that? Uh, any retailer that's been out for a while now. And I think it's also available in Blu-ray high def now, but that is an upconverted version because these were originally filmed in standard def. And you can really tell, or you can really see the standard deafness of some of these scenes in the deleted scenes because they're not treated like mm -hmm. the, the filmization of the episodes that we see. They're not done that way yet, so... It, kind of reminded me of you know we've watched classic doctor who and it reminded me of how that looked like the overall mystery or clue that season three has is mr saxon and that recurrence throughout the episodes in season three uh, but it doesn't start in season three it starts in season two with love and monsters and brian's, a... brian's favorite episode <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um, well, up until the ending, it's a pretty good episode with all Linda. Oh, um, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it is. Um, there's a newspaper that has Saxon as leading in the polls. Um, at the beginning, some people think of this season, The Runaway Bride, uh, Mr. Saxon gives the order to shoot down the Empress's ship of the Rathnos. In actual Torchwood, um, there are Vote Saxon posters on a wall. So that's something that even even going for another show, not just Doctor Who, they put it in there. So I thought that was great. And that's in episode 12, Captain Jack, the episode titled Captain, Captain Jack. Jack Harkness. We find out a little bit more about his past. In Smith and Jones, there's a Vote Saxon poster behind Martha. And that one, I did not see. I don't know if anyone saw it the first time if you're actually watching it, but we've been trying to tell you throughout the season. Where, where to see it, yeah. You know, it's like, they did plant this all over the place. It was that I liked looking hindsight at it. Um, in the Lazarus experiments, uh, Mr. Saxon helped fund the Lazarus experiment. And as Brian had put out in that episode, he had said um, one thing that drove, I think, Kelsey crazy was, or is it? So, <laughs> because we're wondering how Tish now, got... Now we find out it is. <laughs> uh, we found Tish, do, we thought, we? got the job because of her special attributes, thinking it was her looks and youth, and that Lazarus was an old, lecherous man mm -hmm. wanting that around. And but, he was. Right. Doesn't negate that. But it was because Saxon wanted to keep a track of Martha and when Martha and the doctor would be coming back. Cause, so he wanted the family members close. Yeah. So Tish's attributes were that she was Martha's sister. And um, hot. 
<laughs> that was just that, a fringe, just benefit. A fringe right. benefit, right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I don't think Saxon cared. It was Lazarus who said, yes, we can have her hired here. Right. There was a man working for Mr. Saxon and warns Francine about the doctor also in the Lazarus experiment. And that shapes Francine's character a lot. Mm-hmm. Right there starts it all where she's not trusting this doctor because to her, Martha just met him the day before. Didn't realize Martha had already gone on these adventures and the doctor came back. But then finding out that death follows the doctor. And that's a recurring theme throughout most episodes or seasons of the Doctor, Doctor Who. Um, in 42, um, Mr. Saxon's agents question Francine. And you see that when Martha calls back home because Martha thinks she is going to die. This is it. And she wanted to tell her family what was going on. And because she's on a spaceship in the future. Right. We need to remind them that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And Francine wants her to come home and we can work this out, you know, but they get into a little fight and we find out that the whole Saxon people are recording and trying to find them, uh, Martha and the doctor. And then in the sound of drums, because we don't hear it for a few episodes, but then we go back in the sound of drums, Mr. Saxon is revealed there to be the master. So that was really cool. Now, he also is involved in creating the Archangel Network, which is the 15 satellites that helps him control the Earth, um, the psychic link. And the first one that we can see of the Archangel Network would be in 42, and it's on Martha's phone. And so everybody uses it. Um, And also in the sound of drums, they're talking about the network. And I think they they referenced that he was the one who started it all. In the sound of drums, because of uh, yeah, he's, mm-hmm. Rook. he shot yeah. the popularity mm-hmm. with that. Um, logos appear on the different laptops that they're using, and newspaper articles about him starting it all. This season three is different from like season one and two, where it's like one singular thing. Like Bad Wolf is the one thing that goes throughout the whole of the season. With uh, season three, we also have the face of Bo with the prophecy, if you will, uh, "You are not alone." Also referencing to the finale of season three. That was in Gridlock. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there are multiple things that are leading to one point of this uh, series finale or season finale, but not necessarily one phrase or one object. Right. Torchwood or Mm -hmm. Bad Wolf. And a lot of people say it's like a season arch. And I don't see it that way. It's just clues that they leave up to the ending. So that's why we kept saying it's what the big mystery is. And so they just leave clues. But in most episodes of other shows, the series arch... The season, you know, bad guy, the big bad, they would be confronting them or actually dealing with effects of them as a main topic of an episode. And this wasn't. This was just peppered in kind of hints to lead you there. And mostly I think it's to look back when you rewatch it to go, <laughs> look what they did. They had the idea way back then. <laughs> season I two. I think it's really great that they're sort of, they're connected, but not connected. Right. You right. still have a monster of the week. Um but clearly they had an end goal the whole time. And it just makes you think, gosh, this show is so clever. It really makes you appreciate all the thought and work they put into it. You think that the face of Bogue, instead of being so cryptic with you were not alone, just said, hey, the master's alive, so you need to be careful. Season over. (laughs) (laughs) That's not textbook enigmatic. Jack has to have his fun somehow. Yeah, I mean, he knows everything's going to turn out okay, so... There's no No, that's a good point. It's also funny that we first meet Jack in season one... At the end, you know, we last saw him at the end of um, the finale of season one, like Parting of the Ways. And then he goes on to do the Torchwood season one, absent of anything Doctor Who, as far as like actors. And then we wait a whole of season two of Doctor Who, and then season three, we get him at the very end. I think it's 
kind of cool that somebody from season one who has a different doctor, different companion can come on board in the middle or at the end of season three and just feel like no time has passed between this new doctor and this new companion. Yeah, before before we started rewatching, I kind of forgot that Jack was in season one. Right. Because he because he's so sporadic and he didn't he didn't start at the very beginning of season one, even though early on. So it's it's weird to think that um, that so many of these characters or even aspects of stuff actually started that early. I'm very glad they have the crossover from Torch because you do wonder about that whenever a character spins off to their own show. Well, why don't they just call them up when they need help, you know? <laughs> right, and right. with Torchwood, it seemed very isolated, and they were handling their own. And because of the way the doctor travels, you can see them not getting in touch. But when he does see them, he runs out to get there and go, no, doctor, I need to talk to you. I need to connect <laughs> again. So I thought it was done well. I'm really glad they were able to do that. And not that there's something so big or dire that, no, logic would say you'd call up, your, mm-hmm. you'd call up the people mm-hmm. from the show. But, you know, just very glad they were able to do it. When Jack shows up, we get the references to the season two big mystery of Torchwood. And, you know, we've just, um, between season two and season three, we got the full season of Torchwood. So we see what Torchwood is in the present and what Jack is doing with it. So that when the doctor finds out about Torchwood, he's still thinking of Torchwood season two. And so he's angry. And Jack is like, no, I changed it. Um, So it's interesting that the there's still life in the season two big mystery. And it's also interesting that he took such a moralistic turn of rerouting the direction of Torchwood. When we first met him, he was just a con man. Right. So we see that the effect that the doctors had on Jack, even though they didn't spend that much time together, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. Also, well, and if you think about it, though, he was in five episodes of the 13, of the first season. That's a lot. Wow, really? Was he really? That yeah. Big? yeah. <laughs> the first two, and then Boomtown, and then the end. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's a bunch of two-parters. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. He's in two of the two-parters. The, two world, the world War II two-parter, um, Boomtown, Boomtown, and then the final, the season finale two-parter. So he's there a long time. Certainly long enough. To make an impact. To be enlightened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing about re-watching these shows is how, like, you, like Captain Jack, like, how little they're there, but then how much they're there in our memories. Just re-watching this season with uh, Martha, I mean, uh, she she's there throughout this whole season, but as you continue Doctor Who, you know, there's so much more than just her, but a lot of the things that happen here have a lot of weight throughout the rest of the of the series mm-hmm. um it's and you don't realize that until you're watching like oh well there wasn't that much captain she jack. was only in 13 total yeah. episodes in the entire series of doctor who but <laughs> but you'll never forget right Martha. yeah yeah but there's also a lot when there are a lot of points in this season where they uh digress to kind of hint at the fact that they've had all these other adventures mm-hmm. i think more so with martha than a lot of the other companions well, well, yes, because we have that spin-off, if you will, the animated Infinite Quest with Martha. There's we... that. There's the Blink episode that kind of hints at they're having a whole other bunch yeah. of adventures. So speaking of companions, we normally discuss potential companions. The first one I can think of is in the Daleks in Manhattan episodes with uh, Frank and or Tallulah. We mentioned those uh, individuals at that time. No. <laughs> and then in a Human Nature and Family of Blood, Joan Redfern is actually invited to travel with the Doctor. Yes. <laughs> and then in Blink, Sally Sparrow. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's about it. Chantho? Mm. No. <laughs> she would get old real quick. <laughs> no. But she would she would rebel and not say it. Remember, she yeah. finally went with Martha going, no, <laughs> without them beforehand. So yeah. I think she could definitely grow into that. Interesting to look at Chance, uh, her uh, compared, to, uh, compared to Lucy, the fact that she was the master's companion. She was, you know, used and abused as well. True. And depending on how you look at the season, would Donna have been a good companion? What? I wonder if we'll ever know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say and or Donna. <laughs> I don't think I was ready for Donna. Donna ends up being a favorite of mine, but that first Runaway Bride episode is like, shh, stop screaming. <laughs> I, yeah. Runaway Bride, I did not like her that much at the beginning. Going back and rewatching it, I love her. Watching yeah. her well, I also think, her. I mean, I think Kath, right. as an American audience, I don't, we're not as familiar with her. I think right. that was like, oh, Catherine Tate's going to be on Doctor Who and she's going to be Catherine Tate. So I didn't know who she was and I was like, who the hell is this crazy lady? But I did think it, and it was very out of, um, it wasn't the usual Doctor Who vibe. So I, I kind of was like, this is really funny and great, but what is going on? I will say, though, if she had been the next companion, we probably wouldn't have had all this awkward tearfulness about Rose for right. 13 episodes. Oh, yeah. it, True. She wouldn't have even left time for that. <laughs> but it would have been a shame to miss Martha, I think. Who is Sally's boyfriend? I don't remember his name. Rory. I mean, uh... <laughs> <No>. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. That's what I'm going with. The yes, Rory sorry. archetype. Lawrence. Larry. Mm-hmm. Larry Nightingale. Oh, right. Yeah. So Sally and Larry, they, I mean, they did seem like great companions because I think they did use them as the structure later on for another set of companions. Yes, absolutely. So wow, that same feel to I never, it. ever put that together, <laughs> but you're so right. Uh, I also always make note of when the TARDIS is not in use. The Runaway Bride, the TARDIS is like going through some indigestion, I think they mentioned. After being overly used. And then in gridlock, they're separated from the TARDIS because of going into the, the traffic, the highways and the byways. And then in 42, the TARDIS is separated because of the heat on the spaceship. And then in human nature and family of blood, they can't use the TARDIS because it'll attract the family of blood. And then in Blink, the angels take the TARDIS. I mean, that they're definitely separated from yes. it. That's part of the whole plot to get it back. And then in Utopia, they're sort of separated from it because the future kind are... But it's not... But not really, much yeah. because the moment he's like, I need that blue box. Okay, boom, here it is. But then in Sound of Drums, the last of the Time Lords, the Master has the TARDIS. So they go without the TARDIS, like, accessibility kind of a lot in this season. They don't have the TARDIS in... Smith and Jones either. So they're sick because they can't get into the TARDIS up on the moon. I find it interesting to see whenever they can't get to the TARDIS and they they say why, I'm like, okay. I always get a kick out of how they figure out how they can't get to the TARDIS this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because the the TARDIS will always save them. I almost find it a gimmick now that, uh, of course... They're going to be separated from it. How are they going to do it this time? It's like trying to write coincidences or, you know, missed encounters in an age of cell phones. Yeah. Right. It, right. It's interesting because it's still better than it was in the classic series. I just finished watching an episode where they, they're they in one location where the TARDIS is. They go off. They leave. They have another adventure. They travel back to that same location, but at a different time. So Sarah Jane says to the doctor... Well, the TARDIS isn't here because we're here long before the TARDIS gets here. And the doctor is like, oh, it's all right. It's traveling through time. It'll show up. And that's it. And it's like, well, that's convenient. So it's like you're just going to have not have the TARDIS there until the end of the episode. And 
there's the TARDIS. Okay, we get in it and we're fine now. It's funny you bring up the classic because John Pertwee throughout most of his season doesn't use the TARDIS. And it's just the thing that I don't even think about watching the classic, but watching the modern version, I always want to make note of when the TARDIS isn't uh, accessible to them. Yeah, because in the classic series, even even when the TARDIS is fine and there and doing its what its job, you still don't see it. Like so many episodes have them walking out of the TARDIS. There's entire runs where you never see the interior of the TARDIS. It's just them walking out of the TARDIS in the beginning of the uh, story and walking yeah. into it at the end of the story, and you never see the interior. It's more of just a mode of transportation. Right. Yeah. Where now it's almost like, you know, Firefly Serenity is mm-hmm. a character. Yeah. Where the TARDIS now is a character. Now, we're talking about the different companion possible mm-hmm. that are there. What do you think about the last uh, group of episodes and Professor Doherty? Do you think, you know, seeing her at the end, if you see the whole DVD, would she, she's smart enough, would she be a good companion? I think her and the doctor would butt heads big time. I don't see it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think we get enough to know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think she's smart enough. But I, I agree with you that I don't think it would work out. I don't think it would work. I think you're right. But I, I didn't want to see her put her running. as just a villain, you know. No, but I just see her being very single-minded. Whereas the doctor is the opposite. And, and, and you're right. We don't really get enough of her for mm-hmm. me to make a full assumption. But just I, what we do yeah. see, I can. those personalities would probably clash. Agreed. I, mean, I just it, wanted to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> if the doctor was traveling with an entourage, then yes, she could come along. But I don't think him and her by themselves would work out. But I either. think one of the older classic doctors, it could. Because mm. a lot of times the companion is off on their own doing their own thing. That's true. Along mm. with the... the but adventure i think i think she wouldn't have she would not don't get me wrong be as bad as adam but i think on one of those adventures off by herself she would do something stupid something that the doctor would just be like no the thing is we may not know how much information she has on her side no no i know but and that hope i'm just saying she's she's not one for making strong the good of all decisions I think she does have strong decisions. That's why they had to take her son. They couldn't influence her with the mm. psychic link, you know, like they could oh, with Lucy. I forgot about the psychic link. She's mm. resisting what she can, but she's, yeah. you know, can't figure out a way out of this. Okay. And the only way to keep supposedly her son alive, she's thinking, I got to do this as far as I can go without giving as much as I can. She's trying to hold back as much as she can. But I think it could have been better with one of the classic doctors. I think it could have been a fun trip but with this one and what we've seen for the modern doctors and the relationship they have with the companion i think they just butt heads and it wouldn't work it wouldn't have that same connection can you and i both agree that tom needs to be in the tardis at all times and available (laughs) no we forgot to mention tom he's uh lucifer i mean i'm thinking the character of tom seemed so bland he was there to just do his job of take martha from here to here he was there for eye candy and it worked you know so to me, there I got even less of mm. a, you know, characterization of him than it did from the professor. Really? Okay. I saw you know just blank slate. What about the um, um, the family episodes? Yes. Um, oh, Tim. Love actually. Yeah, Tim. <laughs> <Right>? Love actually. <laughs> yeah. Latimer. 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 I, yeah. I like that. Oh, kid. that name! I didn't get that with Broadchurch. <laughs> yeah, Tim name. from the Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Um, he. He had kind of an interesting storyline that had to be wrapped up after the doctor left. But if that had never been a thing, it would have been fun to have him in there. I he would totally like could have been a somebody yeah. younger, maybe. He would have been a good Adric, better than that. Adric was a classic <laughs> companion who was Thanks. who was the the Wesley Crusher, <laughs> and loved just as much as Wesley Crusher until the audience voted to have him die. 
So they voted. Wham. I didn't remember I that. Didn't they have them vote? I keep thinking of the one that voted was um. Oh no, that was Robin. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, they didn't vote. But when he died, no one was really upset. But, but he gave his life. Yeah, some might. I say mean, it was a shock. A it was a shock to have it in a kids show. Some but... might say they were earth shocked. Some might. <laughs> People who know episode titles. <laughs> That's a deep cut. As I was saying, <laughs> the rest of us Arlene are looking would be at each so other. thrilled yeah. right now. I just feel like since I really like the dynamic that's happening now between Bill and the Doctor, that's kind of like a student teacher mentor thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it would be it would have been similar to that if we had had Tim, and I would have probably enjoyed that. That's what they should do. The Doctor <laughs> now go back and get Tim when he's older. Yes. And bring him along. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. He's available. Oh, come on. <laughs> Listen to us. Listen to this podcast. Get him as a companion. Latimer. She played Latimer. He played Latimer. Come on. I also think it's cool that a companion potentially has a superpower with his... Uh... Yeah, the telepathic yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love this more all the time. Baby, oh my God. pay attention. So can you imagine? Can possess animals. That, that would change. <laughs> imagine how that would change the last scene where he's sitting there in the wheelchair and he looks over and sees the Doctor and goes, Ooh. I know it happens. <laughs> yeah. oh. That would be so cool season three also has uh, direct adaptations of stories that were literary stories where as the other seasons had adaptations of audio dramas when jubilee which became the episode dalek and spare parts spare parts which became uh, the age of steel and the rise of the cybermen this season three has human nature and the family of blood being adapted from Paul Cornell's uh, new adventure novel, novel, also entitled Human Nature. And then Blink, originating from a short story in the 2006 Doctor Who annual by Stephen Moffat called What I Did on My Christmas Holidays by Sally Sparrow. What doctor was that with Sally Sparrow? It was the ninth doctor in the Stephen Moffat Sally Sparrow short story. So I just finished reading Human Nature, the novel, which is very different and at the same time similar to the TV episode. Um, it, you know, I know that Human Nature, Family of Blood does focus on uh, Martha. It's, a, you know, Martha's view for the most part. But the novel goes even much more into the doctor's companion, Benny. Um, it's really told from her point of view. There's long periods where you don't have you don't see the doctor. He's off with Joan. And he's utterly clueless as to what's going on. He has no idea. And Joan, or, um, Benny really doesn't... Um, the, the aliens come after her, not necessarily the Doctor. Um, it's a really good book. You should read it. I liked it a lot. Um, and it's great to compare it. Um, a lot of people die. Uh, Tim dies. <gasps> no. But it's okay. He gets better. <laughs> um, Tim is tortured by the other students. Hmm. Um Sorry, spoilers. Um, and really another thing is, is that the aliens, there's like six or seven to begin with. And as they start dying off, um, they get really annoyed and they blow up the entire school huh. with the students in it. <gasps> wow. Yeah. And so... Um, stuff they can't do on the right. show. Yeah. And so then it kind of moves out of the... Like the school is in the middle of the town. And so then the, the narrative kind of moves away from the school and is in the town and what the aliens do is they actually put the entire town under a dome and so you've got people outside trying to get in and they don't know what's going on and the people inside trying to get out and they don't know what's going on so it's really complicated and and there's so much going on um and there's also this cat that seems to avoid dying all the time because it's a cat (laughs) you sold me (laughs) <laughs> that puts a lot more weight on what Joan said at the end of the episode 
would all these people be dead if you didn't come here? Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. There's a lot more weight on that. Yeah, because there's a lot of death. A lot of students die. And all because the doctor doesn't want to kill these aliens. So he goes into hiding. No, it's worse than different? that. Okay. It's different. Um, in this one, the doctor just wants to see just, what it's like to yeah. be human. <gasps> really? Yeah, there is no... There's no... Uh, motivation? Cr- yeah, there's no motivation to become human. He, he, The doctor and Benny like have just gone through this terrible terrible thing and they've lost people they both like need a break and so the doctor like really absent-mindedly and like not explaining anything to her just like goes to this planet buys this bit of technology that's going to do this to him walks into the tardis and says this is what's going to happen take care of this cricket ball because it's not a cricket ball or because it's, in pocket, the, watch. it's pocket watch in the tv in this it's a cricket ball just take care of the cricket ball and then three months later Wake me up and off we'll go and we'll have a nice little vacation. You go visit relatives, you know, so she goes and visits people that she knows. And that's it. But the aliens know that he bought the technology, so they go to get him. And so it's really just like, oh, you just wanted a break and all these people died. Yeah, there was no way to do that in two episodes. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also a lot, a, a bigger debate with John Smith and Joan, um, and their reaction to the truth. Mm. And like very much all the way up until the end, John Smith was like, I don't care about the doctor. I'm going to give them the cricket ball. And it's everybody else saying you can't do that because they're just going to kill us anyway. And he's like, I don't care. I can be with Joan. So, and that does happen in human nature, but it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a large part. Well, going back to the TV episode of Human Nature... I miss that John Smith. He, the doctor has called himself John Smith and gone undercover, the pseudonym, when he's out with people. But this is the first time he actually is a different character. And, you know, Joan realizing and knowing what you're going to decide to do is kill John Smith. Mm-hmm. And she's right. And it's like, that was sad that that character went away. I mean, David Tennant did such a great job playing such a different yeah. Role. You know, that yeah. wasn't the doctor. Yeah. The doctor was in there. You know, and that's what Martha had to get out. But it was like, I miss both Joan and John. <laughs> yeah. Like, they were good, well thought out characters and done really well. Well, maybe he can grow a new Time Lord from his hand who acts more <laughs> like John. Ah, that's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of that, we get uh, this season brings the new blue suit. It's the first time we see it is in this season in Smith and Jones. I can't believe it's third season before yeah. we get the blue suit. And originally, I think they were trying to just put more variety as opposed to just changing up the shirt and the tie combo. Um, much like they kind of did in um, the third Doctor with John Pertwee. He had different colors and his cape were different, but it ended up being my favorite uh, suit of the 10th Doctor. And then uh, we also get the first appearance of the Weeping Angels, which uh, some people say rival in popularity with the Daleks. And again, us being American, we don't have that history of the Daleks that the UK does. So I think that that's amazing that people say that the, the Weeping Angels can rival that popularity. I don't know if I agree with it. <laughs> yes, I kind of agree with that. But to look at a Dalek and a Weeping Angel side by side, I think the Weeping Angel is, and having no prior knowledge, the Weeping Angel is creepier. Also, yeah, the th- fact it's got kind of a horror movie type thing that it actually does. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's just, you know, where you were saying that thing is 
injured people people are like saying they're rival rival the daleks Mm -hmm. i think they've got a long way to go before they can rival the daleks well i think one thing that the angels have going for them is if you're watching you can imagine yourself running into something that looks like Mm -hmm. a weeping angel in the real world where the daleks are still so otherworldly like you you can separate yourself from having to fear them where the weeping angels especially at the end of blink you know you are afraid that you're going to run into yeah don't get me wrong they're terrifying yeah they're absolutely terrifying in iconic status status of doctor who in general it's like oh, it's a daleks it's a cybermen and then we can argue but with this one it was also filmed more theatrically so it gives you that feeling visually even without the actual character of the angel <laughs> you know the whole thing has that different feeling that uh, evokes i thought you were gonna say we got the hand back <laughs> which is talking about that the hand was cut off at um Sycorax, the christmas, christmas in- invasion you know and it was just gone you know, it just fell from the ship. And then we find out Jack has it. And if you don't watch Torchwood, then you know, oh, Jack has it. He's brought it onto the ship. And now the Doctor has his hand back. So <laughs> it just sort of brings in more from previous seasons, which is really nice. Uh, another thing from previous seasons is that in Gridlock, we get the Macra, who originally appeared in the Macra Terror very early on in the, the Doctor Who run, and became the fourth monster from the classic series to make an appearance in the modern series. First one we get are the Autons in Rose, and then Daleks in the episode Dalek, and then the Cybermen in Rise of the Cybermen in Age of Steel. And then now we also get the Master back from the classic series into the modern series. So I think this is like the the culmination of bringing what is familiar for the classic viewers and reintroducing them for the modern viewers. I think that's great. I mean, I'm more familiar with the, the classic now because of the podcast and you guys, but... I like that I get what all of these things are, even though I didn't see the classics. On Smith & Jones, that's where it all started with Martha's infatuation with the doctor. And, you know, sometimes a genetic transfer is just a genetic transfer. (laughs) (laughs) But for her, it was a different kiss from a very, you know, strong, exotic man. (laughs) And and they even had a flashback of that in The Last of the Time Lords. Which I thought was odd. Um, Yeah. I think bookmark, you know, kind of bookending her story of... I suppose. She still loves him, and that's where it all started, with that kiss. What a tease. What a tease. Interesting to watch it this way, one after another, and talking about them for the podcast, because now I do see how people can be annoyed with Martha's character. Right. I still am not, but I do feel now, I wish they had, like, like, Smith and Jones and Last of the Time Lords bookended. Okay. But everything in the middle should have been cut in half. I think one thing, before rewatching this, Martha was not my favorite companion, and and she's not now. But after rewatching and discussing and seeing her a little bit more in this context, um, she has grown on me. So I agree, I think, with what you were kind of saying, Brian, is that she she can get kind of a short shrift because of the relationship that she didn't have with the Doctor but wanted with the Doctor. But yeah, after rewatching them all together and talking through it, it's it's a little bit more believable and understandable. But at the same time, she is so strong despite that. Like, mm-hmm. and also with hindsight of of some of our more modern companions as we record this, yeah, I think her esteem in my eyes has grown from rewatching this season again. For me, Martha is my second favorite companion of all time. The first one's Rose, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't dislike Rose, but I there are times when it's like, oh, Rose. Um, but no, I mean, Martha's, I think, is a really strong, strong character. Yeah. Um, and, do- took- and, and Martha doesn't get the credit I agree with Martha that. deserves. Yeah. Because you think of her season, you just think the whole, you're not Rose storyline. And that is what needs yes. to be lifted out. That's what you mean yes. to be cut out of it is she's got to be on her own. You know, and her relationship with the doctor could have been more focused on that rather than you're not Rose. Right. But Martha's so good. Sometimes she and Tennant is so good that they kind of elevate the episode that they're in. Um, Also, at the time, I was under the impression that the Dalek episodes were good. And, you know, that's been wiped out of my existence. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, you look at (laughs) Well, if you look at the episodes from Martha's year, the last half, you have Human Nature, Family of Blood, Blink, Utopia, Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords are all good episodes. Even before that, that's, you know, our discussion about 42, whether that was a good one or not. Mm-hmm. And that we're kind of split on as a group. Um, it had started out with Smith and Jones, which was, you know, showing again, this is more a kid season with more stereotypical one-dimensional villains or characters. And with that one and with the Shakespeare Code with the traditional stereotypical witches kind of thing. But there was, those two started off as good episodes. But then in the middle, Gridlock, the Daleks in Manhattan, Evolution of the Daleks, Lazarus Experiment is where they lost me a lot. Those were not my favorite episodes of the season. Though it's odd that we keep thinking Martha had bad episodes when she really doesn't. Four or five. I guess it's only 13. But the majority of them, I think, I think it's where good. they they came as a block. Right. They were they they, they stuck together. Yes. As... Like Lazarus experiment, like half of it's really good. But af- coming after the other three not so good episodes, um, and this is all just our opinion. Like forty two is a good episode, but I think it gets a bad rap because of where it's placed. It comes after this succession of ugh, and I think you know after mm-hmm. five weeks, people were probably like tired. And like, oh, I just want a really good episode. I know and that for- feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and 42 is a good episode. And maybe if, you, if that was in another season or in another place, people would like it more. And then all of a sudden, you, then after that, you get the, the human nature, the family of Bud, Blink, Utopia. And the, these are all just like, these are just fantastic episodes. So it's like they're, the, the, the badness is clumped together. From coming off of two seasons of Rose and then having Martha, I guess, from a writer-producer standpoint, they follow the template of episodes. I think that also suffers, or that makes Martha's season suffer, because in uh, Smith & Jones, that's the modern-day episode to introduce the companion, similar with Rose. And then you go, your first episode into the TARDIS, you go to the past, which is uh, Unquiet Dead, and in this case, the Shakespeare Code. And then you go all the way into the future, which was New Earth. New, 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 New York. Yeah, and then you get Gridlock. Which mm-hmm. is the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and then again... It's you, following the pattern. Yeah, and then you get the first two-parter, which is uh, Daleks in Manhattan, those two episodes, and then that's the Sladine episodes yeah. for Rose. And then once you get into 42, that's similar to the Satan Pit because it's the same space suit, it's the same right. motif. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what... my mind. And I think that's why people are kind of... Maybe fatigue is what's the the best word for yeah. this. Yeah, Russell Russell does get a, some criticism for repeating. Yes, but he's always he always does come at it from a different angle. I mean, I like the you introduce a companion, you go into the past, you go into the future. I like it because it's like here's a little capsule of what Doctor Who can be. Yeah, here's or, your first you know. three episodes to do the thing. But then you still have to have good episodes to do that. And I love Shakespeare Code, mm-hmm. and I don't like Gridlock. 
And I'm okay with gridlock. I like gridlock. Oh, I know. I, I was looking and... and uh, <laughs> I think the best thing that came out of gridlock is the foreshadowing of Martha's role in this whole season. Because she's locked you know, in the cab. Separated from the doctor. And they're separated and they're all freaking out what's going to happen. And she starts talking to them about the doctor. That she oh, doesn't yeah. even know him. She just met him and went on this. And, but she believes in him. She trusts him. That's she what Martha does faith. at the end. She gives them that hope. was her role and how much faith and belief and she has in the doctor. And that's what started it at, in Gridlock. I would even go further and to say it happened in an episode prior in Shakespeare Code where words are the weapons that they're using, which ties back into the end. And words have power. But I think in that Concept. aspect that yeah. the words are the weapons and the words are what are needed mm-hmm. to solve the Shakespeare Code. So yes, I think that also ties into the whole season overview. Of- yes. And I think that's what the season three does differently than the previous seasons where everything kind of ties into the finale rather than here's a clue, here's a clue, here's a clue. It's just all these other connecting tissue things. Yeah, but it ties in in a way that if you don't get it, you don't miss it. Absolutely, yeah. It's just gravy. Yeah, and you know, that's how we notice it because we're doing a podcast. Right, right. I also like how assertive Martha gets early on. Trying to think, when did did Rose get comfortable? Um, Because Martha gets comfortable in gridlock. At the end of gridlock, she knows that the doctor is full of it. And that, you know, he's got issues. And she wants to, she's like, you need to tell me what's going on. She's the one who pulls out the chair and sits down and says, no, you're going to talk about it. I'm not leaving. And wins. And the doctor comes over, sits down and starts talking. That was a great Martha moment also. She doesn't do it like, you know, a petulant 19-year-old like. I'm tired of the Rose bashing. I did like Rose. (laughs) (laughs) I understand what you're talking about. And that that point is definitely valid. Because remember how comfortable the two of them got together so that they could like, you know, you know, doctor. Did you see? It's a werewolf. And they're like, they're in danger, but they're so happy that they're both experiencing these things together. Um, You know, how they can split off in so many season two episodes. And the doctor's, oh yeah, Rose will be fine. Because she will be fine. Because by then she's, you know, a fully formed character, three, you know, and can handle herself. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of season one. I don't know if it happens in season one, but the closest thing I can think of is uh, the, the, the Doctor Dances uh, Empty Child episode where she's kind of giving back at the Doctor saying, you know, here's a professional, referring to Captain Jack, you know, a little bit more Spock. She's giving a little more rather than being dictated to. Yeah, but she's doing it in almost, a, she's having a... She's having fun, yeah. And I think it's earlier than that. I think there's glimpses. I don't think she's, you know, definitely not as confident as Martha is. But I think the first time she has that really role is in Dalek, the season, you know, that was episode five or six, where she's like, look who has the gun. Look what's going on. Yes, you're right. So I think she has it there. You're the one with the gun. And that's the sixth episode of the season. Yeah, but then what Brian was mentioning about the werewolf funness in Tooth and Claw. Right, it's not there yeah, yet. I don't yeah. think that's even there with Martha, but there is that. No, it's not there with Martha. But that second episode in season two. Right. So it took her like a whole 13 episodes plus this Christmas special and a Children in Need special to get there. Martha's cool. 27 yeah. and Rose is what? 19. Wait, 19? is it 23 or 27? 23, I thought. I thought 23. Oh, I thought she was 27. Because yeah. she was just, well, I don't know. She's in her 20s. Regardless, she has but, a goal. She's focused. And we also talked about Ace being the companion who's a lot more self-efficient self-sufficient thank you and she's 16 self-aware and she was younger oh, she's quote but unquote, just where 16. rose started no i get know, it so it took they her wrote rose longer, as a yes. younger character 
but they not just younger, just more insecure. Yes, and that not kind of knowing her and, potential. And, and so her character bugs me at times because right. of that. Which was nice to have Martha, who's already advanced that much, so right. she can start a lot sooner. It's exactly, a, it's the whole telling the story. It's like let's get to that yeah. kind right. of attitude. So right. it's like no, we're there. Yeah. Also, Rose has this whole interruption of her pace of character when the Doctor regenerates, so that throws her whole world off. Uh, on a detour before she can kind of get back on track. That's true. That is fair. So now do we want to go into our num- uh, recommendations? Um, it's kind of interesting to look at. Um, there's only one episode where we are unanimous. And that episode is an episode where we all agree that it's for anybody to watch. Any guesses which episode it is? I Blink. Can't. It is not Blink. Oh, really? I don't know if you would guess right away. But after I say it, you might all say, oh, yeah, of course. I'll just tell you. Uh, Shakespeare Code. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we all, really? We all really? said that the Shakespeare Code was for, and Heather, you weren't here for that one. No, and I don't know if I would have voted that way. So you don't count. Uh, <laughs> we would have convinced you. But anyway, yes, go on. <laughs> um, but well, how, what, what do you think of Shakespeare Code? I, don't, I have... A little bit. I love Shakespeare, but I have a little bit of trouble grasping the witches, even though they fit in the Shakespeare thing. It's the, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while, and you guys have watched it more recently than me. So maybe it's not fair of me. It's definitely an episode for fun. Oftentimes we will say like this is good for everyone, but give it just that little caveat. Like everyone means... Our friends who are into Shakespeare. Everyone means our friends who are... It's not offending anybody and everybody, you know, would get and understand the storyline and what's going on. They see the relationship with the doctor and the companion. We had a big debate of whether or not Blink would be good for a new Who viewer. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, with, we did with not Blink, we, we did not, there was a majority. Five of us said that it was good for everyone. And then Eugene and I said it was good for a casual person. And listen to that episode to figure out why, because we're not going to get into that now. Yeah. But I think even then we said, you know, we had that but, caveat of, I think we could introduce somebody. And I think a lot of people do introduce people to Doctor Who because of that. It's like false advertising, though. Yeah, I that, see. That was part I wasn't of our here. Discussion. I wasn't here. But... That was part of our discussion. Yeah, well, we won't get into it. But yeah. as someone who was not here for that recording, that's my two cents. Okay, that's where Done. we, we fell into. Then you can stay now. <laughs> Well, then um, I was saying all... on that episode that that's how I originally felt, but then in rewatching it with that in mind, I realized there are, is a lot of things in there that would be good for a first viewer. So I switched when we did that. Okay. So we have three episodes this season that are two-parters, and two of them, uh, we all feel that it lives up to the first part of the episode, but one of the two-parters, we don't think the second half lives up to the first half. And that is Daleks in Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks. Listen to that episode for that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got, uh, for Daleks in Manhattan, part one, we actually have two of us saying that is for diehards only. <laughs> and we have two of us saying it's for fans only. And we just have um, Auburn saying that a casual person could watch that and not be upset (laughs) um and then evolution of the daleks uh three of us say yes it lives up to the promise promise, which was for diehards only so the bar was low and then uh two of us say no it's it's just bad and that's josh and auburn now the good things that came out of daleks is that the cult of scarrow we found out what happened to them from the end of season two when they all did that temporal shift so it follows up from that season so that was nice to get 
their storyline. And then at the end of Evolution of the Daleks, Dalek Khan escapes through another temporal shift. He's the only one left. So we know there's one out there, and we might find out what happens to him someday. Or will we? Oh, not that again. (laughs) (laughs) He's out trying to find Admiral Kirk. And Family of Blood coming off of Human Nature. And Last of the Time Lords coming off of Sound of Drums. Now, the first parts we did have some disagreements on. Um, Human Nature, uh, most five of us said that was good for everyone. And two of us, Arlene and Kelsey, said it was good for a casual viewer. And then The Sound of Drums... Uh, we are, four of us said it was for a fan only, and three of us said it was for the casual viewer. So, you know, I think a lot of us were saying fan because of everything you needed to know leading up to it. And also that one's a little, little tricky because we did consider it the first part of a two-parter rather than the second part of a three-parter. Right. Which kind of is, but kind of isn't. Um, we talked about Utopia being more of a standalone is because most of what happens is a different storyline set in a different time. It's more about the, you know, that placement with what's going on with these people and trying to get to Utopia, which doesn't really go to the whole Saxon master storyline. It is as part of the setup, but since it is so different in time frame and different planet, it feels like it's a standalone. The weight of that emotional reveal will be completely destroyed without the knowledge of what happened in Utopia. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, okay, whatever. But, I mean, that's why we, we decided right. when we did to go, well, do we do this as a three-parter or do we do this rate, the way we would rate it? Do we do it more as a standalone and actually rate it rather than do the other ones live up to the um, previous episode? I do think it's interesting. There's one here that Arlene, um, she actually moved it up to uh, casual because uh, it has kittens in it. That would be gridlock. <laughs> and that was gridlock. <laughs> it's, speaking of gridlock, that is the end of a sort of quasi-trilogy. Because it is right. uh, end of the world from season one, and then new Earth mm-hmm. from season two, and then Gridlock completes that like new new Earth trilogy. They don't really do they don't really do a lot of visiting the same planets multiple times. Except Earth. Well. Or new 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 new. Yeah, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. We don't go back to Earth that. Which is nice. Earth. And because the doctor also learned his lesson, you don't take the new woman you're dating where you took your girlfriend. <laughs> rule number one. Seriously. I thought rule number one was wait five hours. <laughs> always no, the wait. rule number one is the doctor lies. Wasn't it don't ever leave? And then the rule number two is five. always wait five hours. Don't know what that's There's from. I don't understand that. Crap. That's from a girl in the fireplace. Okay. What kinds okay. of fans are you? Forgetful? Casual? <laughs> Casual fans. <laughs> in so Lazarus' bad. experiment, um, it was talked, Eugene, I think, mentioned this, that the TARDIS brings the doctor to where he needs to be. You know? And we had talked about how he brought Rose back 12 months after he picked her up, and he did the correct thing of bringing Martha back 12 hours after mm-hmm. he picked her up. And I was just thinking, because of all of this, did the TARDIS bring them back to that point not because of the 12 hours you wanted for Martha, but because the master is there and it could sense something's wrong and needs the doctor here. Yeah, I say that. And the doctor going, <laughs> and the TARDIS going, you twit. <laughs> I'm bringing you here. You're going to lock me I'm into captured. You're going to lock me into this position and in the future position because <laughs> it was shocking when they went to the future because trying to shake Jack off. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was just came to my mind going, is that why the TARDIS brought him back in the correct time ever since they said that i like to think that's what's happening in certain episodes and i really like that in this episode 
There's also the, you know, we've already mentioned in the last episode about Tish and how um, her character arc in this season changes when you find out the truth, where, you know, in Lazarus' experiment, you think, you know, okay, she's hot and Lazarus wants somebody young and hot. And that's the attributes. And then you find out that it's really because um, Tish is Martha's sister. And, you know, later on, Tish, you know, just unexpectedly gets a job in number 10, which is totally unrealistic. But of course, Tish falls for it. And that's because the master is there and wants connection to Martha. Um, but that also carries in with Lazarus' experiment in that all his technology was based on Sonic. And so when you find out that Mr. Saxon is a Time Lord and the master, and that Lazarus has been working with Saxon and funded by Saxon, you find out so the uh, that Saxon was feeding him some Time Lord technology, just little bits here and there to use him, lure the doctor or whatever he was doing that. And when you kind of look at it, that that um, Lazarus's machine is kind of TARDIS-like, you know, and it's all based on Sonic. So it's like, in retrospect, you go back and go, oh, look, look, they're planting little seeds. Do you think that the master had any plans with some, with what Lazarus was doing? I want to say yes. I can't remember why, though. It's yes because of his new laser screwdriver. They used that technology to age the doctor. Oh, yes. He does oh, say that God, in the episode. Oh, my God, totally. There it is. I knew there was something. I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, also, speaking of the finale of season three, it's the first time in this, I guess even in the Russell Davis run, that the Daleks aren't the season finale villain. Mm. This time we have the master. And that's good. I feel like they were saving the master, you know, for the end of season three. It's like, okay, we waited as long as we can wait. And we don't want to do Daleks again. And obviously the master has a long history with the show. So mm -hmm. I, I think it was a much needed change. Yes. The oh. Daleks now is sort of... Are you? Did you think that at the time or looking back in hindsight? Because this was only season three and like season one was all Daleks. And season two was Cybermen with Daleks. I did think about it at the time. Did you? Because having no prior relationship with the Daleks, um, they don't have like a special... Well, they do now. Right. But they didn't have a special place in my heart necessarily. So to me, it was like, oh my God, how many times are the Daleks going to come back? So is this that Russell repeats himself? I I don't know if it was if it's as big as all that or if it's just a Dalek thing. Okay. <laughs> and also with the Daleks in Manhattan, they were... We'd already weaker. seen them. Yeah. They weren't the That's threat true. that That's they true. previously were. So to try and bring them back at the end seemed you know, not needed at this point. They need more time to recoup. And does everybody know the theory with the current season and the rights for the Daleks? Have we mentioned that? No. I think we've talked. We haven't mentioned it to them. Um, don't know if it's true or not. Um, but And by current, do you mean season three or do you mean what's uh, season? The, the new era. Okay. So since since the Ninth Doctor onwards. Okay. Um, there was supposedly um, a rights issue with the Daleks where the estate of the creator of the Daleks said no because they wanted more money. Terry Nation. Mm -hmm. And it was his estate, right? I, I mean, Terry so. Nation has he's passed. He's, yeah. yeah. And the belief now is, who knows if it's true, because, you know, when you talk about rights, who knows anything? Um, they have, in order to use the Daleks ever, they have to use the Daleks once a year. Oh, I see. And it kind of makes sense because the Daleks are shown once a year, every single season. And even in season 10, this last season with Bill, it's just in her first episode for about five, five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. Hmm. 
And so it's kind of like, all right, that to me gives it a little bit of credence of Stephen Moffat saying, I have to use the Daleks, but I'm just going to use them sparingly and move on. So that could, you know, it's like you're always coming back to the Daleks, but it's like if we don't always come back to the Daleks, we'll lose the Daleks and nobody wants that. That, that's that's helpful to know because I, one of the weaknesses, in my opinion, of the Doctor Who series as a whole is going back to these villains too much. Yes, they going need back new villains. to the Daleks and the Cybermen. Um, yeah. yeah, it gets a little to me personally. And, and moving old. forward, it's even more things like um, the Ice Warriors and Zygons, the Zygons, and little cameos by silly creatures and villains. It's becoming a lot. Of fanboy service mm. service. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to mention one more thing about the companions, uh, especially as we we're talking about as the series moves forward. Um, I, I really enjoyed having this short time with the companion. Martha got in. We learned to love her. She learned some lessons and she left. And I think that's something that now I am not totally caught up on the latest uh, stuff with uh, Capaldi, but I do know one of the reasons I'm not caught up on all the latest with Capaldi <laughs> is because uh, I felt like a companion overstayed their welcome. Um, Amen. Which is Who a lesson that, that I think they they could have learned. I don't know if they have learned it. You guys have seen some of the newer stuff with Bill. I haven't seen any Bill episodes in their entirety, but it was a lesson hopefully learned, and I would like to see a more dynamic range of companion time lengths on the TARDIS. Like, not everyone has to be three seasons, not everyone has to be one season, but I think some more dynamic, maybe even not not finishing a season, you know, something to, mm, yeah. to make it more interesting. Yeah. Also, maybe somebody from a different time period. Yes. Yeah. That I really want that. Gosh, That's please. what the classic had that we're missing in the modern era, but I kind of understand why they're doing it to make it relatable but at the same time i think we're used to we're there now the we're okay. yeah we can go we and, don't need the yeah. hand holding at this point yeah. <laughs> but i still in the old american television of at least you know like 24 26 episodes so i would like to see a companion at least for two seasons or close to that they can do a season and a half but mm -hmm. one season does really well but leaves you definitely wanting more. And may, I think and that's, that's what I needed. Thing, and that's what you needed. And I do think some, you know, companions overstayed, went too long. And just, I don't think it was just that one you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame oh, when... Oh, let's just say it. It's Clara. Clara. Moving on. <laughs> it's a shame when a, a good companion, who you should really like, like Clara, becomes someone you resent and right. are tired of. Like, we shouldn't be pushed to that level. Right. <laughs> like, but, I, yeah, I should be sad true. that she's leaving. Mm -hmm. And yeah. instead it's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> it's about time. And uh, it's it's sad that it well, got to that point. You know, do the 13 episodes, but maybe bring that companion back in the next season or something. Also, right. to tell us that she was leaving and we're all like, yay. And then they're like, just kidding. She's coming back. Right. <laughs> season three also won a lot of awards. Uh, Blink, you can see all those awards that they won. Let's just uh, list a couple of them. Nebula Awards, Saturn Awards, Scream Awards. Hugo? I want to say it won the Hugo. Go ahead then. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> If not, it should have. Uh, another thing that we get in season three is the the song or the piece of music, all the strange, strange things, which I've always pointed out when it comes up. It's, to me, it's the beginning of the 11th Doctor theme, and I just feel that the music is, is strong, and it's another aspect of the show that keeps me coming back. And we were introduced to that in the episode All, all the Strange Things? No. Oh. 
The Impossible Planet? No. Oh. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Which episode were we introduced? Yeah. When did it first start? I think it's in uh, 42. It's really good music. Yeah. Interesting how his music um, starts off very like whimsical and slow and quiet and pensive. And, and then it, by the time you get to Matt Smith, it's very adventurous, yeah. pirate, gung-ho. <laughs> and it's, it's sort of the process that the doctor's going through, too, where he's very insecure and depressed when we first meet him. And then he finds great people who bring him back into a better, healthier state of mind. And the continuity somewhat. of it always being the same guy. It's the same composer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant the doctor. I was like, oh, no, that, sorry. <laughs> that as well. No. But but also in season three, there are a lot of pieces of music that aren't included on the, the soundtrack that you can buy. So I feel... Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a, yeah, it's a real big bummer because I, I always want to know what the name of that piece of music is. And one of my favorites that I mentioned last episode is the acoustic version of the Doctor's theme that they play at um, or near the end of the last or last of the Time Lords. It's short, but it's good yeah and how did you like your blue light this season were there much blue lights this season no no i think the lazarus experiment had the most right with the I rem- i'm remembering blue with yeah. the machine <laughs> but maybe that's just my memory and the smith and jones did i think oh, oh that's smith and jones was, oh, yes as an avid listener to the podcast <laughs> it's really good <laughs> wow so that wraps up season three of Doctor Who. You can find it on DVD or streaming, but we recommend the DVD so you can see the entirety of the last of the Time Lords. We say goodbye to Martha, and we say hello to a blue suit. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by our very own Auburn. Find me at auburnbinkley.com. You can find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcasts. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who, the longest running sci-fi show in history, and especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. Sorry, Josh. I, I kept forgetting you were there at times. I kept talking oh, no, too long. no, that's okay. It was actually kind of interesting. I felt like I was listening to the podcast. <laughs> do we want to do that? No. No? Okay. Mm, that's a little... There are daggers happening across the table right now. Yeah, one, one, one. one.